Hey everyone, and welcome into our last episode of the semester. Uh, it is exam week here for us, so we wanted to take a little easier on ourselves for this last episode. So this episode, we'll be going over our favorite war movies with a special guest here. We have Chris Debias. Heyo. Boom, here he is. This is Chris's last week as a student, so we wanted to grab him for one last collaboration on Through the Lens. The finish line is in sight. <laughs> yeah, you could say it is. Four and days. That is right. We are doing war movies. Been building up this episode for a while. Been thinking about doing it. Finally going to get it done. But first, we've got to go through our big list of movie news. Not as as eventful as last week, but quite a bit to discuss. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 trailer was released. What did you guys think of that if you were able to watch it? It awesome. awesome. He was fighting Oscar Isaac. Or it, rather, so, wait, Oscar Isaac Oscar was Isaac fighting was him. Spider-Man 2099. Ah, oh, yes. Very exciting. Very exciting. I'm very which much you, looking forward to you this. might have already known if you saw the post credit scene of the first Spider-Verse. I, I I just forgot. I'd seen it, and I knew Spider-Man 2099 was there. I had just forgotten that... Miguel O'Hara. She was the, that Oscar Isaac would be playing the role. That's exciting. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I really like the first one. I really like the new st- art style that they at least... They showed in one of the... Scenes. I'm not sure if that's going to be the primary art style, though, because it seems like they're jumping across different... That was Spider-Man India he was in. Really? Yes, because it was like a combination of Mumbai and New York. Interesting. I did not know that. That's cool. Boom. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Lots of Spider-Man movies, though, coming out. Maybe we'll have good. to do a, Sp- a, good a Spider-Verse episode. It's going to be a good spi- year for Spider-Man fans. We hope so, good don't we? A couple of years. Also, a new teaser trailer for The Matrix Resurrections was released, and it seemed to have finally explained away that little problem that Davis and I had discussed when we first talked about the trailer, which was the fact that it seems to be a retreading of the original. The line that um, echoes throughout the one-minute-long trailer is, someone changed something, which caused deja vu. So the essential line is deja vu, which means someone changed something, which is essentially explaining that somebody in the Matrix altered reality to therefore force Keanu Reeves' character Neo to retread the past, which is to explain why Morpheus is not Lawrence Fishburne and why, again, the movie looks like the original. I'm not sure if that's a good cop-out. I don't know. It depends on when we see the movie, but I kind of like that as terms of an explanation for it because initially it did just look like a remake. So what did you think? I'm a big Matrix fan. I'll let him say what he thinks. I'm excited for it. I'm going to go watch it the... The uh, the action and the CGI and whatnot looks awesome. So I was a little hesitant just because I was worried it was going to retread or retcon the first trilogy, which I'm all, I already wasn't really sold on there being another Matrix movie and not really one with this approach, but I'm going to go watch it. Um, one thing I'm worried about is uh, they if they take the He-Man approach... I don't know if you saw the He-Man show from last year I where they not. advertised it as though it was a He-Man show and then He-Man died within like the first 10 minutes of the show. <laughs> That's funny. So I, what I hope they don't do is that they replace Neo as the main character because I yeah, think they kind of teased at, at Trinity being the main character of the movie within the last trailer that came out like an hour ago, which Trinity's cool, but you can't replace Neo like, yeah, that, I would that would be that. my concern. But I, I'm going to watch it. I certainly wonder. I think they could take it that route. I don't think they should, but I'm just very curious to see exactly what will be different. Because again, so far we've seen that the movie is retreading the past with an explanation, of course. But what exactly will be different about it? That's what I'm very curious to see. But I, I, I still don't know how they're going to pull it off. Yeah, like, at that the Matrix trilogy ended pretty concretely, so I 
I don't know what they're going to do, but, you know, whatever. I'm sure they'll figure it out. Also, in other big, I say in quotes, movie news, Nicolas Cage has been cast as Dracula in Universal's Renfield. He will star opposite excuse me, Nicholas Holt in that movie. I don't really know what that's about, but it's I like a, Nick Cage movies. What can I say? I'm pretty sure it's about, um, what's his name, Dracula's assistant. I don't remember his name, but it's the title of the movie, and Nicholas Holt plays him. Ah, well, that makes a lot more sense. So he's not actually. not like the main character. Renfield. Renfield, thank you. He is he is he is the assistant. Oh yeah, yeah. there you go, there you go. Well, there now we now we know a bit of what it's going like to be about. But hey, that's 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 a uh, part of Nicolas Cage's resurgence. I'm waiting for it. Also, Tom Hardy will be returning for the final season of Peaky Blinders. I've never seen that show, but my brother has, and I know it's very very popular. And also stars Killian Murphy as well. And then last two bits of MCU news. For the press screening of No Way Home, only 40 minutes will be shown of the supposedly two-hour and 30-minute film. So that's an interesting tactic. I mean, Kevin Feige claims it's because of spoilers, but Yeah, they're not going to be able to see the Spider-Man. He also did just confirm that Charlie Cox is going to be. Yeah. I I, I had that just below, Davis. Uh, I, I, I knew. Speaking of Kevin Feige, he said, quote, If you were to see Daredevil in upcoming things, Charlie Cox, yes, would be the actor playing Daredevil, which I don't. I guess that almost confirms he will not be in No Way Home. No, he's in it. Doesn't I don't he's think that it. I don't think that means anything. I, I, I think that means that they're warming it up and they're trying to make it seem like they don't have any plans for him right now. But they they pretty heavy handedly teased Kingpin as the main villain of the Hawkeye series already. Like they showed his hand and his suit and everything. Um, and with the leaks that are seeming more and more like they were one hundred percent true, Charlie Cox was at the table with. Tom Holland and 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 Happy and uh, Aunt May. So and they went. What is this? Some kind of kingpin? Was, yeah, I mean, like yeah. It, all right, all right, all right, all right. They didn't fine. do that. Out I'll, I'll, just I'll, just so you know, they did I not fig- say I that. I figured they did, and I figured they did. But fine, I'll I'll buy it. I'll buy it for now. One um, thing, one thing that I'm asking Marvel is please keep the utter brutality of the Netflix shows. Don't MCU baby this down. The reason the Netflix shows are so good is because they held nothing back. I completely agree. If you're going to bring back Daredevil, you bring back especially The Punisher because The Punisher was amazing. Season 2 of Daredevil was amazing. I never actually watched The Punisher show, but I've heard great things about it. I watched the first season. It was excellent. I just I've heard. I thought of MCU joke that they would definitely do with Daredevil. They're going to be like, did you guys just see that? He's going to be like, no, I didn't. I, oh, one hundred percent. They're going to do that. One hundred. That joke's going to happen. I don't think they have a blind character now. Will it? Do that will joke. it be? Will it be worse than the Scooby Doo this crap joke? I'm not. I'm not quite sh- uh, it's certain a reference of that. To Thirteen Ghosts doesn't matter. <laughs> it sucks. Well, um, yeah. I. I. Davis did not see the MCU uh, TV Netflix shows, but I watched them all over the summer. And yeah, they got to keep that brutality. Like that final scene of season three where Kingpin and Daredevil fight, and I mean Kingpin is bloodied beyond comprehension at that point, and it just I beat you. Yeah, exactly. And it sells it a lot better <sighs> than just you know. So random good. punch. But I mean that that's it, it, it's kind of difficult because that's kind of what the MCU's established because how is Daredevil's punch is going to cause more damage than Iron Man's arc reactor shots that just seem to do nothing to anybody. I mean they showed hints of the brutality they can do with the shows especially I guess Falcon and Winter Soldier but it's not you know in Falcon and Winter Soldier, what's his face killed the dude with the shield? Yeah, you don't, you, don't you really see, see blood like oh, you do dripping blood and blood one, on yeah. the shield, but you know in Daredevil when he's fighting a, a group of ninjas in the first season to the point where he's basically to the verge of death and he's interrogating somebody and that somebody 
headbutts a spike on purpose to ref- to to refuse yep. giving information about Kingpin, and they show the spike going through his brain. You know, there's yeah, a little little. There's levels to this thing. A little different. Little different. They may have to make the MCU Netflix sh- uh, characters in movies under the rated R label because it's yeah, it's certainly difficult. But that is the last bit of news that I have. Unless you guys have anything else that I missed that you've seen throughout the week. That's the last bit that I've got, which means it's time to move on to our war movie list. We each have mm-hmm. our top 10s listed. I know there's a bit of a discussion. I think Davis talked about it wanting to have before, and if you'd like to take that away, Davis, well, first of all, set the stage. If the anyway. parameters for this list, because a war movie is such a, a, a vague concept. True, true. Mm-hmm. But, so our, our parameters, Chris was the main person that came up with these, so thank you, Chris. The definition of a war movie should be a movie that focuses on a battle, operation, or war. Something, something like I just, the I, I just remembered a movie that could have technically qualified. But anyway, go on. Sorry. You can, you can make an audible on your I, list. I think, I think I'll make an honorable mention if I can. Just the perspective, I have honorable mentions. This yeah. perspective should be from a soldier slash participant. The narrative right within doesn't really matter. And again, this is not. As I was speaking with my roommate uh, Sutton about this today, actually, this is not focused on Vietnam or World War II because that is what the genre has been dominated by. Even 1917 was considered a outlier because it went to World War One, a move, a war that is not as heavily covered as Vietnam or World War Two. As this can be any war, if it's a war from 2,000 years ago, it can technically qualify. Well, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, yeah, but the the thing is, um, the focus should be for at least a war movie. It should be like a combatant or participant. Yes. So, like my roommate Jack, who has been on the show before, was saying. Well, isn't Imitation Game a war movie? Ah, interesting. Well, it it takes place during a war, and his work greatly affects the war, but I would call that more like a historical yes. drama or something like that. Another you know? movie to be exactly compared to that would be Lincoln, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Lincoln, which takes yep. place only exclusively from 1863 until the end of the war, and it is a very fascinating movie to see how the background of the war took place in Washington, but I wouldn't say it qualifies either because... There's not much war at all. Yeah. There's nope. discussions with soldiers, but it's really about the po- politics at the time, which is a fascinating movie to watch anyway. But Schindler's List is yeah. not a war Agreed. movie. It, said it takes place during a war. We made sure to exclude movies like Schindler's List, exactly. The Pianist, Life is Beautiful, because those would end up on my list. Movies like yeah. that, because I watch a lot of movies like that. Exactly, yeah. and, I, and I think that's a fair point. I will say another, another disclaimer is these are our favorite movies, not our best best movies because I think there's a way you can do those differently. For example, I think Shawshank is going to be one of the greatest movies of all time but in terms of movies that I truly enjoy and would be on my favorites list, I don't think it would be and it wasn't I think the last time we did our list. But that's just an example there. These are our favorites not our best. Yeah. Because like, I think for me, I don't want to spoil anything for you guys' list but for me, movies like Full Metal Jacket and Platoon are two movies that I can look at and be like, wow, those are objectively some of the better movies ever. But I don't really enjoy watching those. Fair enough. Partly because they are genuinely depressing movies and Is- it's more of a psychological deconstruction which makes them amazing and they are great, but for me, not nearly as enjoyable as some of the movies that I had on the list just because of that. So that's kind of just more disclaimer for the listeners for what exactly our parameters would be. Before we yeah. get into our list... Do you want to have? I've told y'all both what the big discussion question is. Hope y'all did y'all's homework. Do y'all want to save, save that for the, the end, end, or do you want to save? I that think for now? I think we can save it till the end. Slash, if a movie on the list coincides with that, okay. we can talk about it when the movie is brought up. Like if I bring up a movie that you would say uh, d- directly relates to those discussion points, bring it up then. Have that debate. I'm with gonna that leave movie the. I'm gonna leave the question until then. I'm not gonna ask it. Yeah, ask, that's what I'm saying. Ask, you go ahead. Go ahead and ask it when you want. Do you want to ask 
the audience to have them think about it. Okay, at home. you know what? Yeah, yeah, ah, yeah. Go ahead, ask this, and you so guys the, think the about it. The question we will be talking about at the end, and we might mention it during it, is that if war movies are inherently pro-war or anti-war mm. or neither, but I, th- and obviously some movies lean one way or the other, and some are kind of in the middle. Yeah, but it's just inherently, without without them taking their stance, is the fact that a movie's about war is that pro or anti-war? Let y'all think about that one. We'll, we'll get back to we'll it. We'll definitely get to that at the end of the show. But now, to our list. Do any of y'all have honorable mentions first? I have, I have one, yeah, we can. Actually. I think we can talk about our honorable mentions. I, I want to go ahead first, Alex. I have one, and this one is going to be out, out of left field, I'll admit, but it was one that just came to mind when we were having our discussion earlier, um, is the movie Kingdom of Heaven, directed by Ridley Whoa, Scott. Whoa, that's we're, crazy. We were talking about we're going to watch this. We, we wanted to watch So that. I will say for disclaimer, cut. watch the director's cut on YouTube. The original cut is garbage. It's on YouTube. I heard it. It is on YouTube. Oh, I, I know watched, the original cut. The original cut is one of the disgusting. worst movies I've ever seen. You should honestly watch it just to understand how disjointed it is. That's for a whole other episode. Well, but if is, I may, r- real quick on that, I had no idea that that movie existed until uh, yesterday. And my YouTube recommended the clip where um, Edward Norton's character, yes. King, what's his face, King Baldwin the Fourth, King Baldwin yes. the Fourth, the leper, uh, the Jerusalem has arrived scene, auto played, and I watched it, and I was like. What is this? <laughs> that that scene is one of my favorite scenes of any movie I've ever seen. Edward Norton's uh, portrayal as Baldwin is second to none, but the movie follows Orlando Bloom, who fights in the Crusades, and it is the toes the line between historical fiction and you know nonfiction because a lot of what happened between in the Crusades between you know the Catholics and the Saracens or Muslims, as they were called a number of things at the time. It's very confusing. That entire conflict did happen. King Baldwin did exist. And it's just a very, very cool movie. And it's very long. It's three hours, the director's cut, but I think it's worth it, and it's one of my favorites. And that's one of my honorable mentions. And then going down the line, another one that I've got on this list, I've got to say it's going to be Hacksaw Ridge. It's a movie I've only seen one time. The reason it's not on this list is because a big portion of the movie is... Hey, a drill sergeant in full metal jacket was pretty cool. What if we just do it again? And that kind of takes me out of the movie for a moment. I love Vince Vaughn's character, and his later stuff in the movie is excellent. But I've also only seen it one time, and I don't know. I like it a lot, but I maybe have to see it more times before I can fully judge it. But initially, it wouldn't make my top. You appreciate it again if you watched it. You will. I know. I'm sure. I'm sure I would. Just on the initial, it did not. Do you want to do your honorable mention? Do you want me to do mine, Chris? Um, I have two. Also, I have, have a few I have more than two. So yeah, I also have a few movies to... that I just left off the list that I wanted to say. Fair enough. Those movies, the movies I just left off, not even honorable mentions, would be Lone Survivor, which I have issues with. Alex looks like he forgot that movie as well. American Sniper, which I'm not a big fan of. I like Lone Survivor. It has its moments. American Sniper, I just not, I'm not a big fan of. And the movie called Mine, starring, starring Army Hammer, I just want to mention. It's a very... Uh, it's a good, cool concept. It, the execution's not amazing, though. But uh, that's all I got for those. The the So what I wrote is honorable mentions that I weren't sure fit the parameters. Those being the Five Bloods, which have war moments in them, but most of the movie is them trying to find the gold they buried during Vietnam. So is it so is it after Vietnam? Yes. Yeah. There's okay. Yeah. So I w- but it flashes back to them during war. I wouldn't, it's about the soldiers of that war. I wouldn't. S- Put that under the war movie yeah. qualifier. It's but. like it's like a, okay, so like a movie that you could almost have a comparison to, and this is going to seem ridiculous, and it totally is. Is 
The Chronicles of Narnia. I know, stupid. What? But, what? But the, you, no. said, you said it's going to seem ridiculous, and then you the still be, went the through begin, with it. The beginning is an exposition about World War II, but then the movie stays unrelated. This movie That's, does not take place. It is during. related. It's related. Okay, to the fair fact enough. That fair enough. I don't know. I was Vietnam, just, I was just to, thinking about a movie that the main setting is not on war, but flashbacks and exposition. The Five are Bloods. From that. I'll Sorry. explain it real quick. The Five Bloods. That was Bloods, a bit of a jump. I'll admit. They go back to Vietnam to find the gold that they buried okay. while they were soldiers in Vietnam, and to and to bear and to find the body of Chadwick Boseman, their sergeant. That died there, Interesting. and during the movie they find the gold and all that, and then they have to fight Vietnamese people, Vietnamese people, or people like bandits that are trying to steal. So the gold like from Tropic them. Thunder, never seen it. Sorry. <laughs> At least the Five Bloods is based more on an actual war, I would say. Yeah, Tropi- but Tropic Thunder is one of the best comedies of the last. That's that's okay. true. Tropic we'll Thunder's move a classic. on from the Five Bloods. The other movie I had was The Great Escape, which is if that fits ah, yeah. into it, it's not really a war, but technically it's an operation. They're trying to escape from the prisoner of war camp. If that was allowed, it'd probably be my top five. But I'm leaving it out because it's not really based around a battle, but it is based around an think, actual event that happened in I, the war. I think that can count. I would. I'm say not would. going to. Though. I I wouldn't. I don't know because if we're not going to count like an Auschwitz movie or like a Holocaust movie, then yeah. a prisoner point, of war point, camp movie would be kind of the same. That's a good point. That's Great Escape is awesome though. I love the Great Escape. It's it. very very fun. Nice now, little romp until now, it's not. With that in mind, your honorable mentions, both of you. Because you said that was, the, that was mine. Those I thought I thought you said those were just your ones left off the list. No, no the Lone Survivor, American Sniper, and mine. Okay, were. and then Chris, okay, so I have your... nine honorable mentions. Whoa! So I'll be really quick about them. Um, I'll start with two that are not that don't fall under the definition. Um, first of all is the TV show Band of Brothers. I wanted to reference that because Alex, if you want, if you want an amazing depiction of war and an amazing true story, Band of Brothers is a classic and always will be. Another one, um, a lesser-known kind of historical drama. Uh, it's kind of a comedy, too. It's called Pentagon Wars. It stars Kelsey Grammer um, and the dude from The Princess Bride. Uh, Carrie Ells. Yeah, Carrie Ells. It's a true story about the development of the Bradley and how utterly incompetent some higher-tier generals can be. Um, so then finally, the actual war movie ones would be Lone Survivor, for the same reasons Davis said, I thought it was okay. Uh, Siege, Siege of Jadotville, which is about mm. the Irish soldiers in the uh, Democratic, the Democratic People's Republic of the Congo, I think. It's just the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's just the Democratic Republic of Congo. Democratic Republic of Congo during the Civil War. Basically how the UN kind of screwed over this company of Irish dudes who were in the Congo then ended up that led them to be attacked by like an entire division. Um, Restrepo is a documentary uh, that follows the uh, combat outpost Restrepo, the soldiers of the 173rd in the Corngall Valley, um, or excuse me, yeah, the Corngall Valley. And the Corngall Valley, if you don't know, is the deadliest area um, during the entire war of Afghanistan is in the eastern provinces of Afghanistan. Uh, the Corngall and Weigall Valley at one point accompanied for over 75% of all ordnance dropped during Jeez. the war of Afghanistan. So if you think about that, these two valleys, uh, they saw firefights every single day. And it's this uh, documentary that follows these soldiers in the Corngall Valley, and it is truly amazing. It holds nothing back. It's real, too. Um, 1917, World War One movie. Thought it was great. Um, a lot of great cinematography. Really fun movie to watch. Another one would be Zulu, which is about the British in Zulu. Um, 
Dunkirk, which is a, also an amazing movie to watch and a lesser known story about how the British fled from Europe when the Nazis started blitzkrieging everything. Um, and then finally, I just thought of this one last minute uh, when I was making my list yesterday, but 300, technically based wow. off of a true story, heavily, heavily, heavily fictionalized. Obviously, there were not immortals and stuff like yeah. that, but the Battle of Thermopylae, I mean, it's still studied to this day. And it's just a fun, gory Zack Snyder movie yeah. to watch. So. And I would say, uh, speaking on two of those points, one, Band of Brothers, you can certainly watch it like a movie. I did. I watched it all in one day. Yeah. It is it is required viewing, in my opinion, for somebody who loves any sort of historical movies or TV shows on wars. It is one of the most accurate and one of the most impressive TV shows you will ever see, at least in my opinion. And secondly, on that 300 point, that was one thing I ran into is I wanted to keep movies off that were more based in fiction than reality. For example, The Last Samurai is one that Davis and I discussed. It's extremely loosely based on the Satsuma Rebellion of the 1800s mm-hmm. where the samurai fought back in Japan. But like Tom Cruise's main character, Ken Watanabe's main character, not real people at all. So that one I had to leave off, much like 300 where they're really exciting movies and fun to watch, I would say but just not based in reality at all at that point. They're more fictitious than historical. But yeah, that's that's all the honorable mentions. So do we want to move on to our uh, top 10? Yeah. Who would like to start? I can go ahead. Okay, so I'm a, I'm, I'm going to admit my top 10 may be a little controversial. At 10, I've got I've – got, I hadn't really decided my 10 through 8. I've been jumping back and forth. I'm going to say number 10 is The Patriot. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. not going to lie. I'm a bit of a history buff, and I love like the Revolutionary War and all the history behind that. You ever and seen history buffs on YouTube? I have, yes. I watched one on The Last Samurai, actually. That's a good channel. Um, That's a good but channel. I just, I really liked this movie, even though it is, again, more of Pearl Harbor-esque than it is a war movie, I would say. for those I, that Pearl Harbor is not one any of us mentioned, I imagine. What's my number one? Uh, I, I don't, <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Um, directed by Roland Emmerich, who has only directed main action movies like Independence Day, composed by John Williams, who once again knocks it out of the park like he always does. Starring Mel Gibson. Yeah, I just really like uh, movies on the Revolutionary War, and I found this one fascinating. It's very action-packed, and a lot of the big set pieces, such as the war that bas- or the battle that basically takes place in their backyard, is really one of my favorite scenes because they can just see like the cannon fire through the trees. Uh, I just really think it's different because it's not what you imagine because, again, it's fighting in that old style of just marching at each other and shooting at each other constantly. But I just really enjoyed it, and it's one of the movies that I've watched a lot. And, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. There's not really a lot that stands out other than the uh, ridiculous action, including the cannonball that bounces off the ground and decapitates a dude. That's like a very famous scene from it for a lot of the wrong reasons, I would say. Um, How accurate is it historically? So it it follows a, a little bit of accuracy. Mel, uh, according to Wikipedia, Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin Martin, is based loosely off five different people. Based off Thomas Sumter, Daniel Morgan, Nathaniel Green, Andrew Pickens, and Francis Marion. That's as much as I know about that. Um, and then you go down to Jason Isaac's character, William Tavington. He is based off Benastri Tarleton. And then Chris Cooper as Harry Burwell is based off a couple generals, and then General Cornwallis, who's played by Tom Wilkinson, is an actual person. Cornwallis was an actual person, and it does it does all end at Yorktown. So it follows the storyline of the war and like what happened and the sort of insurgency that 
the militias had to use to beat the British is something that this movie follows because that's what it is. It's Mel Gibson basically creating a militia to fight unconventional ways because the British were whooping the U.S. in every other form at that point. So it's more based in somewhat reality. But again, the story of Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin Martin, and his entire family is made up. So it's that's why it's more lower because, again, it's not it doesn't follow as much history. It is a bit interesting, though. And I think it's for anybody who likes just any history on the Revolutionary War, such as myself, I think it's the movie to watch because it's probably the only one that's really been done that's a movie. A lot of TV shows, but no movies. Yeah, that's my number 10. All right. So now for me, my number 10 is one that could easily drop out if I see one I like more. I've only seen this one once, and I did quite enjoy it. It's said during Vietnam as Platoon. Ah. I really like the performances in it. I like the story for the most part. I think Willem Dafoe's awesome, and I'm a big Willem Dafoe fan. Obviously, that's the big iconic scene where he's run out of the jungle and he gets shot and yep. his arms fly up in the air. Fun fact, my um, Vietnam veteran neighbor um, from Florida said that Platoon, in his opinion, is the most accurate depiction of what it's like to be a soldier in Vietnam. Mm, wow. There you go. Interesting. It's a big insight. I don't really have much else to say about it. I, I, I do like it. I need to see it again soon to really form my opinion on it, to see where it'd probably end up in my favorite of all time. I'm not sure if it cracked the top 50, but I do like it. But I have it here because I really couldn't think of a, a ton of other war movies that could beat it out, except the nine above it, obviously. So yeah, came into my number 10, but I could easily see like another war movie. I could, I could easily see like We Were Soldiers or... Pass the glory of any of those I've written down that I haven't seen yet, and it could get knocked out. Interesting. What was that? Paths of Glory. Ah. Which not, thing, do you think I say Blades of Glory? No, I I, I kind of zoned out because I'm reading a an IMDb page. Um, for your number ten. Yeah, but I yeah. Sorry, go on. Well, Chris, Chris, I, I did, it's yes, on to you 10. now. What is your okay, number ten? Well, segue to you. Mine isn't really in a top ten order. Um, okay. But no, I'm, okay. sounds yeah, about right. Job, but M- mine is mine. I I couldn't really definitively them rank an, them. Yeah. I, but these are probably my ten favorite. Okay, that's so fair. they're definitely my ten favorite. I just don't know what the order Save is. Save your so. most favorite for the last one. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna talk about the ones that I can talk more enthusiastically about for the end, I suppose. Or that's a good plan. I'll just go in the order I wrote them down. So number ten, technically, um, it is the only movie like this on my list. Um, Kind of historical fiction, obviously historical fiction, Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino. Um, in my opinion, the best Quentin Tarantino movie. I know that that might be. I get second be, best for me. I think that might be kind of a hot take considering it, it his, is. It is for most people, but I don't think in, it's not, uh, for not, me. not in here it isn't, but for most Tarantino yeah, fans it is. I would say that that's a hot take for people. Um, Mine's, but, I have a hotter take on that. Mine's, my, my, I think the best one's Django. I mean, I would also say Django is amazing. Wait, so that's, it's so hard to pick, but uh, for me, Inglorious in Bastards is amazing. I mean, um, Christoph Waltz as, um, as the Jew hunter, Lieutenant Colonel Hans Landa. Thank you. I don't know why the name escaped me for a second. Or Colonel Hans Landa, just Colonel. But either way, amazing performance. One of the best of the 2000s, I think, easily. Um, And then Brad Pitt and everything. It's just such a fun movie that follows the typical Tarantino kind of formula, but mixes it up through this war setting. It's something he had never done before. He was mostly known for his crime and the Kill Bill series at that point. But... 
And Glorious Bastards was just a, a perfect I'm, combination of the war setting and the Quentin Tarantino style. I'm sure you kind of heard the, uh, the the trivia that if they didn't find Christoph Waltz, yeah. they, would, they wouldn't make them. They weren't going to make the movie. One of my but they weren't looking for. They, he wasn't like missing, but like they couldn't find the perfect guy to play Londa. Quentin Tarantino said Waltz. that he was afraid he had written a role that was unplayable, but uh, Christoph Waltz absolutely killed it. Won an Oscar for it, rightfully so. And the opening scene to Inglorious Bastards is probably my top five, maybe even top three movie scenes of all time. It's just amazing. It's it's a classic movie. It Absolutely. makes me uncomfortable to this day. I would so. agree. What are your thoughts on the criticisms that some people have about it that it kind of ro- romanticizes? I guess World War Two. I don't see, but how not, it's... not even that it romanticizes, but it just leaves out obvious aspects of World War Two and the Nazis, that being the Holocaust, and just kind of makes it a fun romp. I don't understand Nazis. how. I'm I'm just presenting the. I'm not the I'm not killing here. the messenger here. I don't get that criticism. I mean, what what did you like? What did you want him to do? I don't see how he romanticizes it at all. Uh, I watched the movie with my girlfriend, who uh, said that she never wanted to watch that movie again because of how like bad it made her feel. Yeah, and not to mention, I will say one thing. I think Tarantino just took the approach of not doing everything on the nose because most World War II movies like to remind us, us that the Nazis were really evil because they were. Everybody knows it. It's common sense at this point, and. This movie sort of leaves it unsaid, you know, the fact that um, that Aldo Rain leads the entire like brigade that is made entirely of, I think, Jews. Is that yep, right? They're yeah, all, they're all exactly. Jewish Americans. That, that's, of course, at the fact that they are seeking revenge against the army that is looking to exterminate their race, which is what happened. I don't and know. Yeah. Landa's called the Jew hunter. There's not any. He's hunting down those people so they can be executed. I think, And the first scene sets that up. Like, exactly. I, I don't I don't get what that. Are it, they saying because, you know, Lieutenant Aldo Rain is like this larger than life character that kind of like gets it's, joy out of killing the Germans? The fact or? That, it's the fact that in most movies, the Nazis evilness is more on display directly. And I think this movie is more Tarantino saying, look, we know this. There's no need to extensively explain how bad they are. I would say that the Hans Landa is the personification of I, I would the agree. Nazi evil. I would agree, but he doesn't have many inner monologues about how awful he thinks things are. Like, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't need to. He just exactly. acts it out. I agree, but that's where that, I think so, that's where the I criticism think, comes from. I think that's poor criticism, on my, in my opinion. I would agree. But So now to number nine, one could say? Yes, unless you have anything more to say. I Chris. was just trying... I, I, we can move to number nine. I was just trying to see if I can find, like, a quick article... Well, spoiler alert, it will be coming up in my it list It is also again. on mine. So, I just want to say that I yeah. also love the movie. Yeah, so I'm we, not presenting those criticisms as my own. That's just ones that came out during the time. And I said, the, by the way, in this article I just that I was looking at, Quentin Tarantino, and Quentin Tarantino's A Glorious Bastards Makes Holocaust Revision of Fun from 2009. One of the first paragraphs says, Not the year's preeminent genre exercise, parentheses, The Hurt Locker's a superior war film, which wow. I think is a bad take, personally. But that's a bad take as well, but... But I'm not going to go over the article. We can move on to our number nine. I just wanted to say that whoever wrote this article had a bad movie opinion there. And that's fair. That's fair. And my number nine, again, I'm going with a little bit of controversy, not movies that normally come to mind. Uh, My roommate said, I don't know if you can accurately compare the movies to this movie that I have at number nine, but these are my favorite war movies that take place during that, as we described. And that's Braveheart. I'm not going to lie. I know it's about as historical fiction as you get including the fact that none of the outfits were the least bit accurate but it does follow 
loosely William Wallace and the Scottish Rebellion of England. I've always really enjoyed this movie. It's very, very long for warning, but it's you know directed by Mel Gibson, starring Mel Gibson, written by Randall Wallace, and composed by James Horner. And this is one of his best overall scores of his entire career, I think. And yeah, I just really enjoyed this movie. I think again, I like I like movies that are on events that I didn't really know happened. You know, and, and this movie's on something that's never been covered before or since. And certainly, it takes a lot of liberties, but the ending scene is accurate. As, as accurate as accurate goes with William Wallace's execution, and it's one of the best scenes in this movie and in Mel Gibson's career, to be quite honest. I think with he basically just does it all on his own with nothing but music and a camera on his face to uh, illustrate it. And yeah, I just really, really like this movie. And I know, again, it's it's a bit more controversial take because, again, it's so fic- it's so fictitious. And as my roommate Sutton said, I don't know if he can compare that accurately to other war movies that I've got in this list. But that's why it's at my number nine. I think in terms of enjoyableness, it's on the higher list because I really enjoy this movie, but simple lack of accuracy and grounded in reality is a bit of a looser point. But again, really great cast, including Patrick McGowan as King Edward Longshanks and Brendan Gleeson as well. I just, yeah, really like this movie. I've never actually seen it. Really? It, I don't know if you'd like it, to be honest. It is a bit cheesy, I'll admit, but man, the music and the action are, are second to none, especially for the time period, I would say as well. I'll really? be honest, I've also never seen it. It's it's an interesting movie, I'll say. It's not for everybody. It it was very controversial because again, it is very campy and lacking in historical accuracy. But I would recommend it. Interesting. So my number eight is a movie that I think if I saw Nine. It, Oh, I'm sorry. <coughs> my I was gonna say the number eight in mine. My number nine is a movie that I think if I rewatched, it would jump my number eight. Ah, interesting. Go ahead. That being Fury, starring Brad Pitt. I really mm. love this movie. It's uh, set in World War II, and it the reason I really like it is not only because actors the I think it's a great cast, uh, great performances by all of them, but it, it it focuses on like a bit of World War II, like it's a movie set in World War II that focuses on an area that you don't usually see in World War II movies. That being a tank uh, squ- squadron is that the right phrase, Chris? Uh, no, squadron would be regiment. It'd be unit. Unit. A squadron is for aviation, so I don't know what the tank would be. I don't know what the terminology what, whatever would be, it is. but it would probably be. A group uh, of tankmen. How's that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, the crew of the tank, because uh, they're in most, they have to take care of the tank. It, they're, they're, it's kind of like, not a bottle, you know how like movies, shows have bottle episodes? Crew. I just said that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, you know how show has, shows have bottle episodes? This is kind of like a mini bottle episode within a larger movie because they have to stay within their tank. And a lot of the fighting you see from within the tank, you see them doing the things within the... I, I really like it. I think the ending's uh, pretty sad, but I think it's it's a good payoff for the how the story goes. And I think this is one of the best World War II, said World War II movies to come out in recent years. I know, Alex, you like this movie. I do a lot, and spoiler alert again, it's going to be showing up later on my list. I won't say when, but yeah, this is one of my favorites. I think this one could easily jump up my list if I watched it again. On rewatch, it gets better, and better and better, in my opinion. Chris, your number uh, nine? Okay. Do you have anything to say about Fury? Um, I've actually never seen Fury, honestly. I think you'd really like it. I think, really I, think I would, too. I don't know why I never watched it when it first came out. I remember really wanting to watch it, because um, I obviously I love war movies, and Brad Pitt is an amazing actor, and... It looked like a cool thing because you, you always focus on the infantry in war movies, but 
Never really the tanks. Um, I think you'd like it. Alex, you'll be happy to know that I reordered my 10 that I have right here into a top 10. Boom. So, um, yes. Glorious Bastards was still at number 10. Um, but coming in at number 9, one I actually watched recently, just a couple of weeks ago, that I didn't know existed, but then my old dad, he uh, put it on my the TV. Dad. And he <laughs> put this movie on, Hamburger Hill. Um, Hamburger Hill is about the battle of Hamburger Hill during Vietnam, where the 101st Airborne um, spent 13 days assaulting up this one hill. Um, it's brutal, and the battle in real life was brutal. It was called Hamburger Hill because, as you can imagine, the fighting got so violent and so grotesque, um, bodies started piling up that the hill itself was blown away uh and what was left was basically a small mound where there was once a mountain and a pile of bodies and there's sightings of hand-to-hand combat uh bayonet fighting but that's besides the point that's uh really the atrocity of war but they show this they show that in this movie so what i thought was interesting about this movie is that there's not really a narrative um this movie is strictly about the battle it obviously it follows a squad uh, and you learn their stories. And the first half of the movie is them kind of back back at base. Uh, they establish the character. They're not really doing um, like a overarching storyline. You just kind of get to know the characters in the conversations that they have with one another. Um, there's a few storylines here and there, like the medic, how he is absolutely ridden with PTSD. And he has a lot of disdain for the United States as he is an African-American fighting in Vietnam during the late 60s. Go figure, you know, put two and two together. So it has a lot of commentary about that. Um, there's the lieutenant who, despite being a minor character in the movie, he kind of, you see how he evolves from when he's first assigned at the very beginning of the movie to the platoon to how he steps up his leadership towards the end of the movie and how that comes back to bite him. Uh, but it is brutal. So the first half of the movie, again, doesn't follow narrative, but the second half of the movie is the assault on Hamburger Hill. Um, and it's brutal. I mean, it doesn't hold anything back. You see the violence between the Americans and the Vietnamese. Um, again, with that lieutenant storyline, I think kind of a spoiler, but I don't know if you're going to go back and watch this. One of the scenes that I thought was pretty pretty interesting um very memorable for me was throughout the movie the lieutenant is kind of like skittish and kind of afraid to take charge and in the climax of the movie he finally takes charge and he assaults uh this position and what you see is he takes cover behind a tree and his rto which is a radio telephone operator uh is always next to the platoon leader but he's calling in an airstrike on a vietnamese position and they get hit with a mortar and it's a quick cut and the lieutenant is still calling in the airstrike. His RTO is dead. And you see the platoon sergeant character come up to the PL and he's like, sir, you need to relax. And he's like, what? Why? And then you see the camera kind of switch positions to look at the front of him rather than his left side. And his entire right arm is missing and he didn't even realize. So it's it's pretty brutal. And he, he didn't even notice that his arm was off. And I thought that that was a, a pretty remarkable scene. And it's towards the climax of the movie, so... I'm it's adding brutal. this to my list. This sounds like a fascinating movie. It's I, a good really... movie. It's a really good movie. 
I'm gonna put it down on my list. You said fascinating really funnily there. Sorry, I, <laughs> fascinating. Fascinating. Sorry if I kind of rambled. No, there. no, no. That, that that that's what that's what you're here for, Chris. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what we're all gonna be doing at some point with some of the movies we've got. I'm on about our to list. watch the scene. I'll go down to my number eight, Davis. You could watch the scene after uh, the podcast, maybe. <laughs> the volume's off. You, uh, would, no, you wouldn't no, even know I was watching it without well, me saying I'm, it. Well, I'm watch. I want you to pay attention when I talk about my number eight I movie, which attention. is 1917, starring mm. George McKay, Dean yeah. Charles Chapman, Mark Strong, Richard Madden, Colin Firth, and Benedict Cumberbatch. Cinematography by Roger Deakins. Music from Thomas Newman, written by Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns, and directed by Sam Mendes. This movie's just fascinating to watch for me. Like just the way they. Obviously, it's not all one shot. Like I, for one, can you can see the moments when you know they use it as a transition, going into a dark corner or having something go in front of the screen. That's something that's been done before. But this is some of the best I've ever seen done by anybody. A good comparison scene would be the Battle of the Bastards scene from Game of Thrones. They made it one shot, but they have horses running in front of the camera, and it's more obvious than in this movie. And this is also for two hours. That scene is thirty minutes. So yeah, this movie is just really, really. A really awesome movie in terms of just how it looks. I love movies that cover World War One because I think it's the more under-discussed war because I think there's a lot to be shown with trench warfare that, you know, yeah. as brutal as World War Two was, World War One may beat it in brutality simply by the, the horrible nature of trench warfare and how things just, you know, fell apart for people. And in the units themselves fell apart as they were, you know, using their shovels to eat rats and everything like that. Just insane Ugh. stuff. Yep. Yeah. It's gross. It's disgusting. Well, read about, read about some of the things that soldiers in World War One went through. Yeah. It's, 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 it's this disgusting combination of old-timey tactics with modern weaponry that leads to just a meat grinder of yeah, a war. Yeah, exactly. And as as World War Two beats it in sheer numbers, as it naturally does based on everything that happened in Russia, World War One may be in sheer brutality and just disgusting nature of what happened. And I like movies that cover that because I think it's just an interesting thing that needs to be almost on display more because, again, we've only seen a lot of more World War II stuff, and this movie does it perfectly. And I just think the one thing is why it's number eight. I didn't really connect with the main characters that much, especially when uh, I think it was Thomas dies early mm -hmm. on. That, I, that, kinda, that caught me by surprise. It did. It did. And I, I was I was fine with it. Like It wasn't like, oh, wow, that's too early, but that hurts my connection to the movie on an emotional level. But... Otherwise, an amazing movie. Really one to see just because of how it looks. Excellent direction. Roger Deakins is the legend himself for a reason. This movie is as clear an explanation as to why. If anybody wants to see a war movie that delves into great history as well as giving a unique perspective and illustrating it in a very unique way, there, I don't think there's a, any more unique looking film about war than 1917. Yeah, I think it's a fabulous movie. This is It's further... It's soon on my list but it's not ah, number eight there, i'll say there. that all right i'll say my number eight in a second but uh nine, I, you know i'll just go and say i'll yeah, just my say, say save your 1970 announcement when we get my number eight is dunkirk mm. christopher nolan's dunkirk starring it has uh is the name barry keegan kogan what is it what yes is it? i believe i'll so. be honest i don't know his name i, I think i just got it right on and hit the nail on the head just then i think you did it is what where is he uh, he's in it. I know he is. Barry Keegan. Also has Harry Styles, Cillian Murphy, Fiona Whitehead, Tom Hardy. It, it pretty star-studded cast. It's it's a Nolan movie. You know how it is. The mixing, the audio mixing's usually not yep. not amazing. Uh, I saw this one in the theaters. I gotta say, I was very confused leaving the theater. I mean, that's how Nolan movies are. I, I once I watched it again, I really understood it. I really appreciated what it was doing. But I think 
using that type of storytelling with the back and forth timeline is a little confusing for a war movie telling the story of a war and a battle. I think it was an interesting idea and I think it for the most part worked, but I I'm going to dock it points because this I don't feel like this is the type of movie to really try it on. I would agree. Um, personally, from watching it, I love Nolan movies, and Dunkirk is one of the most fascinating and incredible events to ever take place during the war. I mean, it's... We will know, never surrender. It's like it's unheard of how many people they were able to evacuate in such a short time, and honestly, the storytelling, the way it's told, hurts that. It's kind of unclear the scale of what's happening. The fact that they were not all butchered by the Nazis is... A miracle in itself. Exactly, and one, I think I think the movie doesn't do a good enough job explaining that. One thing I really do like about the movie is that because Tom Hardy's flying the plane and we crash the plane, it's like the first time you actually see the Nazis, but you don't actually see their faces. They're just kind of like a a big, like a faceless army that they're fighting, which I think I think was a nice touch to kind of put in there. Exactly, and I think it's like how a, just it's a big how the rest army. of the world saw them. They yes. were just this mass that was just burning through Europe at light speed. And this point. was, I feel like this is a big, uh, I have no evidence to back this up, but I feel like in Britain this is probably more well-loved because it's like a big historical event for them. Dunkirk is, as far as I've gathered based on my limited research, Dunkirk is their D-Day, essentially. Because D-Day was, you know, primarily organized by Eisenhower and Op- Operation Overlord and everything. And it was it was run with British soldiers and from England, but... Dunkirk is kind of their moment. It's like their shining moment. And then, of course, the the even more so, the RAF just, like, essentially defending all of England by themselves at that point. Because and that's that's what... What are you going to say? Sorry, finish your sentence first. Like, that's just sort of... That's sort of their big moment. But, yes, this is a huge moment in British history because, again, it's kind of their shining moment during the war. More so as well as everything Churchill did, obviously. Chris? And this is a big unifying moment for the British people, yeah. obviously, with the civilian... Um, the civilian ships and boats and whatnot coming to the rescue of the soldiers. Um, so, yeah, it's a big historical thing for the British that should be more appreciated by everyone. I would say I would say so completely. It really is just an incredible feat of just manpower at a certain point. Now, anything else, Davis, before we move on to Chris's number eight? I do not have anything else, no. All right, Chris, where's your number eight? My number eight is um, a war movie by the name of A Bridge Too Far. Mm. Uh, the A Bridge Too Far chronicles... The before, during, and after of Operation Market Garden. Um, it is a big ensemble cast. Um, Sean Connery is in it. Michael Caine is in it. Ryan O'Neill, Lawrence Oliver, basically a bunch of dudes that were big in the 60s, 70s, and whatnot um, come together for this war movie. And it shows the British, Americans, and Canadians during Operation Market Garden. Um, and one of the thing that I one one thing that I like about war movies is when it shows the effects of higher command and how it trickles down to affect the foot soldiers, um, and that's a big aspect of this movie. There's one scene where the 82nd Airborne, the Americans are supposed to go uh, and support. I think it was the British um, somewhere closer to the front. Honestly, I, I can't remember, but. The scene is this major who's constantly waiting for orders to go. He keeps going back to his men, and he's like, all right, uh, one more hour. Get your men ready to go. And then an hour passes. He comes back, and he's like, uh, one more hour. Get your guys ready. Just stay ready. And he keeps doing that like three or four more times. And then finally by the last moment, he's like, well, uh, I guess you just you know, hang out here until we, we get news to go. 
and it just it keeps cutting back and forth between that and him trying to get the information. It shows the confusion. Uh, but there's also some great action scenes and whatnot uh, during this movie with, hold on, trying to find them. The British, what's the actor's name? Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, thank you. Oh. Anthony Hopkins' character uh, fighting the Nazis at the bridge, a.k.a. a bridge too far. Um, and then Michael Caine's character leading the tanks through France to try and get to the front. So pretty good pretty good war movie, good ensemble cast, um, entertaining, really flew by. I've got that one on my list now as well, Chris. You're introducing us to a bunch of movies that I honestly had not even heard of, let alone seen. So I'm I'm fascinated or look sorry, not not that word. Looking forward to seeing those. <laughs> You're at some fascinated. Point. I'm just using that word way too much, and I'll admit. Uh, my number seven is a movie that's already been discussed once before. I'll keep it relatively limited. Is Inglorious Bastards. We talked about it. The incredible cast: Fassbender, Eli Roth, Christoph Waltz, Brad Pitt, uh, Daniel Bruhl, and B.J. Novak, among others. My one thing that I really like about this is that it does kind of delve into an not one thing that is relatively historical and true compared to the fact that the movie does take a lot of liberties, including the ending, is the fact that it does talk a lot about the or it does show a lot about the way that the German film industry was actually something that Hitler weaponized, Loved. essentially. And yeah, and he had he had Goebbels like take over and essentially uh, use that as a propaganda arm of propaganda at a certain point. I really like that because I think that's something that, again, is not very well covered. It's not covered at all, honestly, because, again, in the grand scheme, why would it be? But it's something that makes sense for Tarantino to know about and want to discuss. And I really like how that movie delves into that a bit. The monologue with Michael Myers and Michael Fassbender, or not monologue, the scene with Michael Myers and Michael Fassbender towards the beginning of the movie really mm -hmm. gives the best sort of historical look at what was actually happening because the rest is kind of just you're seeing the characters interact. But... I just think it's very interesting look at that aspect of World War II and of Nazi Germany because that was something they did and that was something that they weaponized to extend their influence over all of Europe at that point. One one last thing I'll say about Inglorious Bastards, if I may, is I really appreciate Quentin Tarantino casting Till Schweiger as Sergeant Hugo Stiglitz, big actor in Germany, really lesser known here uh, in America. But when I, I remember when I first saw that movie, um, I was still living in Italy at the time, and my mom is German, so I would frequently watch German television and whatnot. Uh, and then seeing him on come on the big screen as Hugo Stiglitz was something that made me very excited. So, yeah, and he was amazing in that movie as well. Really great. Performance. Yeah, it doesn't really say a word except for "say goodbye to your Nazi." Well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know, we know, we know. But that's my number seven. Really, I love this movie. Again, lower on my list because of the lack of historical accuracy at other points. Because with that parameters in mind, and again, it's not necessarily about the war as much as it is taking place during the war and an insurgency, which I guess that that's we, we count those as well. But that's just why it's lower down and not higher. But it's still one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite from Tarantino. Davis, now you're number seven. My number seven is, you discussed it as your number eight, I believe, 1917. There we is go. Mine. There we go. I did, I did give you a hint that it'd be coming up soon. Uh I actually wrote an article about this one back in the day. You might you remember did. that, Alex. You did. I do remember that, actually. Yes. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this movie overall. I, I found it fascinating. I found the storytelling elements of the character not speaking much. The main character, I can't remember his name now that I'm trying to say it. Uh, hold up. I've got the cast list down here. Uh, Corporal it's, William. Yep. Lance Corporal William. Uh, the fact that he did, he talked, he obviously did talk, but like for the most part, it was just him by himself. 
And he wasn't gonna he wasn't talking to himself to get his thoughts across. He was just really experiencing what was happening, trying to live this message. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, it's also one of the big things I really that really I remember from it is how the ending parallels the beginning where he's against the tree. I don't really have much else to say. I kind of spoke about it earlier again with you. I have it as my number seven. And if I saw it again, it might go up, but I think it's pretty locked in at number seven here. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I think, think it could easily replace my number six, I think. I'm waiting for a rewatch of that one as well. I've only seen it the one time. It I saw it in on the theaters, Ooh, yes. which was phenomenal. That was great. It, it was... I implore people to go see A good it. choice of your money for uh, yes. a ticket to that movie. Now, Chris, your number seven. My number seven is FMJ Full Metal Jacket. Ah, yes. Uh, Never seen it. One of the, An all-timer. Sorry, one of, one of the greatest first halves of any movie ever. Top five first halves of a movie ever. Obviously, the boot camp segment in the first half of the movie is what the movie is remembered for. Um with the drill instructor, Private Joker, um, and Private Pile, and the relationship between the platoon and how it sours, it's amazing. Um, I don't really have to say much about that part of the movie. Um, the second half of the movie is greatly outshined by the first half, but it is still great, um, showing how the platoon acts in the city of Hue, and then um, kind of how it deconstructs the psyche of Private Joker um, and just how it kind of goes into that aspect of war um, is really good. It kind of turns people into killing machines is the is the criticism of the Vietnam War that I guess Stanley Kubrick tries to do uh, and successfully so with the end of the movie where they get revenge on the sniper that killed their friend earlier in the movie during the Vietnam segment. But Second half is greatly outshined by the first half, but overall, it's still a great movie, and you should rewatch it. Or if you haven't watched it yet, you should watch it. So yeah, I would agree. It's definitely uh, one one of the classics. As I said earlier, in my honorable mention, but left off my list personally. Isn't it? Isn't the story like the drill sergeant was the actual drill sergeant or something? Yes, he was. So yes. um, Lee Ernie was a Marine veteran that was brought on as an advisor for Stanley Kubrick, and they had an actual actor could play the drill sergeant, and the legend goes that uh, Lee Ernie was not satisfied with the dialogue he had written for the drill sergeant. He was like, you have to say something like this, and he just started berating the actors, and Stanley Kubrick just let the film roll. Um, And so then after that, they let him come in, and rather than one of the rare instances where Stanley Kubrick allowed improvisation. Uh, notorious hands-on micromanager yep. Stanley Kubrick let Lee Ernie just go hog wild on these guys. So everything he says uh, and almost everything he does in the first half of the movie is improvised. Drill sergeants, as they're depicted in movies, I- I'm sure in real life, I've heard some stories from like real life. They seem like pretty funny. I feel like you have to be kind of funny to be a drill sergeant. You got to keep it entertaining. Yeah, you got you got to come up with some stuff off the dome to make fun of these privates that are acting up, cutting and, up. And for what it's worth, Arlie Army is somebody who was the police chief in uh 7 actually. For a movie was that we, he? We, yeah. we watched hmm. a long long time ago, one of our first episodes here at Through the Lens. Yeah, he was the police chief, so that's a reference for somebody that we know. So this, yeah, there's that. This movie spawned a pretty successful character ca- character type 
Um, for drill sergeants? Well, just for like tough, no nonsense yeah. military dudes uh, for Lee Ernie. So Yeah, I would say so. Ernie, um, sorry, with an M. Anything else for uh, your number seven before we move on? Uh, nope. Watch right. the movie if you haven't. Yep, it's a classic definitely. for a reason. Absolutely it is. And my number six is I'm also a huge uh, Civil War history buff. Uh, I mentioned the movie Lincoln earlier. So my number six is Glory. Ah. Starring Matthew Broderick, Denzel Washington, Carrie Elwes, Morgan Freeman, and Andre Brower. Written by Kevin Jari and directed by Edward Zwick. Based on these books, Lay This Laurel, 1973 novel by Lincoln Kirstein and One Gallant, Gallant Rush. 1965 novel by Peter Burkard. Music by the amazing James Horner again. This is one of his best scores. Again, I'm going to say this about pretty much every score he's done because he's amazing every single time. And it was nominated for five Oscars, winning Best Supporting Actor. Denzel won that. And Best Sound and Best Cinematography well as well. Yeah, this movie, awesome. It's, amazing I, movie. And I love tr- this movie. And a true story about an actual, I think, regiment is a word. Or maybe battalion was what yeah, they called it. 54th Massachusetts Regiment. Oh, there you go. Right, uh, There you go. There's a statue um, at... In Boston. And it's an amazing, amazing story. One of the most heartbreaking endings I've ever seen in all of my life. I've never life. seen it, so don't spoil it. I won't it. spoil it, don't worry. It's a but true story. Incredible true story, incredible acting. Really, Davis? Really? I didn't mean um, to. You might just heard me hit my And knee. Denzel's amazing. The one scene with like the, the single tear that goes down his face as he's being whipped, I think. Is, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what happens. I've and... only seen it the one time. Amazing movie. Honestly, if I catch it again, it'll probably you know, skyrocket in my top three. Awesome movie for people who love stuff about the Civil War. This is about as good as it gets. Uh, just incredible true story that, again, I was not very aware of until I watched this movie, and then it's just amazing, amazing. And I do want to see this movie. What do they say when they, – they, I've, I've seen, like, part of the big scene where they, like, they all charge. What do they say? Um, I cannot remember what they say. I think they say – I think he says forward unto glory. Yes, I, 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 be, I believe that is that is the line, hence think, the title. Let me, let me look at IMDb quotes. Go ahead. But, yeah, this movie, incredible cast. Broderick, who is kind of an underrated actor, I'll say, because he's delivered some bad performances, but on top of that, some very, very good performances. This one of his very best. This but is, Denzel and Morgan Freeman carry it the whole way as well. This is going to show up later on in my list. Spoiler alert. Fair. That, but, that, that's um, an entirely fair point. This movie, I love this movie. I saw this movie several times as a child. I had it on PSP, if you remember, the PlayStation Portable hand console. Wow. Uh, had a feature where it would have PSP discs that played movies. Of those movies, I had Predator, the original Batman movie from the 60s, and Glory. Don't know how I got a hold of those three, but Glory was by far my favorite. I've seen this movie countless times. Fantastic Civil War movie, Amazing Americans, um, and a story that everyone should know about an all-volunteer African-American fighting force during the Civil War. It's just incredible. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I can't wait to talk about it even more, but it's later on Chris's list. But now, Davis, I think we're ready to go to your number six. So my number six, I actually watched it last night night with Chris, and I I will admit this might be recency bias mm. for it being at number six. So maybe later on I think over it. It might drop down. It might go up. Who knows? It's going to be Black Hawk Down. Ah, interesting. This yeah. will also show up on my yes. list later. Likewise. Uh, it's a great movie. Great performances. My biggest issue with it is that it tries to introduce so many characters for you to care about, which I understand why, because they're obviously dying. You need to know who they are. And so it's a true story. It is a true story. It's just they try to introduce so many in a short period of time, like right before they go out to battle. It's I have trouble keeping up with them. The only one I really remember the names of is Grimes. 
and the sergeant character is like I could like look at their face and be like, Oh, I know them, I know I know what happened to them throughout the story. And other times, you know, it it's just hard for me to keep up. But uh it's a true story of uh Rangers in Mogadishu, Somalia. We'll, we can talk about it a little bit more when we get to it on yours, Chris. But yeah, it's my number six. I really like it. Very action-packed. Definitely. Directed by Ridley Scott. Directed and by Ridley that's Scott. how you know it's going to be action-packed. Ridley film. Scott is... I, I came to the realization watching that movie last night that Ridley Scott is very underrated when it comes to the historical uh, epic. Yep, I would agree. Gladiator, another one of his Yep, as well. Chris, what is your... Alien. Alien. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Historical. Chris, what is your number six movie? My number six is the amazing We Were Soldiers starring Mel Gibson... Uh, my why is there's some amazing leadership lessons. Um, it is used to this date to teach young junior officers. Um, it balances the action. One one thing that I wanted to note is that it balances the action with a healthy de- dose of what spouses go through, which is something you don't see a lot in war movies. So the first, I would say, third, 40% of the movie is them in Fort Benning training up um, – basically creating this unit from scratch and Mel Gibson comes in, um, does what he has to do to train up his soldiers and then they go into the Ladrang Valley, the first major battle of Vietnam, uh, essentially was, as it goes, Americans dropped in the middle of nowhere with uh, limited support, limited direct support, accidentally stumbling upon a hornet's nest of Vietnamese these guys fought for days. Um, one of my favorite scenes is the scene where the RTO is calling in a napalm strike on the Vietnamese, and he accidentally calls it in too close and ends up fratriciding a whole bunch of Americans, so he kills a bunch of Americans with a napalm strike. Um, and it kind of zooms in. It shows the horrors of the war. Uh, and you see everything slows down, and the music gets all dramatic, and then it's broken by Mel Gibson grabbing him on the shoulder and going, listen, you need to forget about that one. You're keeping us alive. And I, I always remember that because while some people may look at that and be like, why is he doing that? But the point is, you know, you can't get distracted by all the horrific things going around because if you just got distracted every time, you wouldn't be able to fight back because if he got paralyzed by what he had just done, he wouldn't have been able to continue calling in those napalm strikes to keep the Vietnamese off of them. And I think I think it speaks to, you know, the classic saying of like there's nothing that guy that guy can do to remedy that. You yeah. know, like he's done, done is done. He you can't know? he can't go back in time and fix it or the next airstrike he won't call won't magically heal those people. Like yeah. there's nothing he can do. So he's just gotta go on to the next one to defend them. And I think that's one of my favorite moments as well in that movie. Two quick uh two more scenes in that movie real quick. Uh the scenes with the spouse, it's not a whole lot of the movie, but I like it because it shows uh, Mel Gibson's wife's character delivering the wives of the KIA to the other soldier wives. It's very emotional. Um, and then the scene at the beginning that actually starts the attack with the lieutenant that is eager to kill the Vietnamese scout and ends up running directly into an ambush, uh, which ends up killing most of his platoon and isolates them for the entirety of the battle. Um is a pretty memorable scene because we actually, in ROTC, we studied that scene, and it's kind of like a moral dilemma, like, would you have followed him? Would you have called back and asked for permission? So it has a lot of thought-provoking moments that if you're if you're into kind of like 
you know, military, military thinking, you can ask yourself what you would do in that situation. Absolutely. Uh, now on to my number five. Uh, I mentioned being a Civil War history buff, which was why number five is Free State of Jones, starring Matthew McConaughey as Newton Knight, Mahershala Ali as Moses Washington, Carrie Russell as Serena Knight, Christopher Berry as Jasper Collins, and Gugu Mbatha-Rao as Rachel, written and directed by Gary Ross, music by Nicholas Bertel. The main theme is excellent. And this movie was criticized upon its release because of poor advertising. The opening scene of this movie is Matt McConaughey's character in, in, as a medic at, during a major Civil War battle. And he is running around with his, I believe, uh, a child that he, or a, not child, a teenager that he knows from his town that he's trying to save. And that was like the main trailer for the movie. And people thought it was going to be a full-on Civil War movie for two hours, and it is not that. But despite that, that's why it's one of my favorite movies, because this actually depicts the real man, Newton Knight, who took Jones County in Mississippi and essentially created their own state within Mississippi and rebelled against the Confederacy. Newton Knight leads the way in a very interesting movie about strategy and guerrilla warfare as they, as the Confederacy is so distracted by the Civil War, they are not aware of what is happening in Jones County for a significant amount of time. And... It then carries on to them essentially having a couple major battles and strategic moves to defeat the Confederacy and establish their independence, and then the war is over. And the movie continues going as it follows Knight's almost recovery, because I think that's one of the most important things with a movie or with a war like the Civil War is the fact that the main event is not that war in a lot of cases. It's what happens afterwards. It's Southern Reconstruction. It's the fact that... In this movie, you see first and foremost many slaves who become sharecroppers, which was just slavery, but with very, very limited compensation, to be quite honest. That's what it was. And you see that first and for- firsthand. And I think it would have been wrong for this movie to end at the war because there's so much that happens after the fact. Also, the movie uses real photos from the war and from the aftermath to contextualize what's happening. It is one of my favorite movies. McConaughey is brilliant. Mahershala Ali is amazing, as he is in everything that he's ever done ever at this point. I'd recommend anybody who's fascinated by the Civil War to watch this movie. Not to mention, it deals with real-life history of the fact that Newton Knight, in this movie, spoiler alert, I'm just going to say this because it's insane to me that this actually happened. Newton Knight uh, actually marries Rachel, who is a former slave in this movie, and has a child. And then Newton Knight's great-great-grandson in 1960, is denied the right to marry a white woman because he's deemed one-eighth African-American. And in Mississippi, that was considered illegal, and he's prosecuted for it. Crazy. And then has to run away and leave the state and his wife because of that. And that actually happened. And the movie follows that consistently because there's actually a background sort of figuring out who is Rachel, why is this scene happening, and that it all comes together in the end. It's an amazing movie. I recommend anybody who, uh, I mean, it's just... I recommend anybody watch that because it's an amazing movie and really tells a very unique and different story from your standard Civil War with Jones County. So yeah, that's that's my number uh, five. <clears throat> I do want to I want to see that now based it's, on what you've it's said. it's in, it's incredible. It really is great cast. My number five is one uh, y'all might have heard of. It's kind of a lesser known one. Came out in 1985. It's a Soviet film, like Soviet, uh, pretty heavily anti-war film called Come and See. I've heard of it. I've heard it of it. I've heard that it's very disturbing. It is. I want to see it, but I have it is yet actually, to see it. It is free on YouTube. You didn't have it from me, though. No, it, we didn't. It, it's very good. It's very well made. It is disturbing. It's not for the faint of heart, for sure. I'm, I don't have much. I don't. I don't want to say too much about it. 
uh, I don't want to, I'm not going to say spoil, but I don't want to waste too much time talking about it because I don't think y'all would have much to say. And also, we have four more to go on each of tell ours. The, tell the audience why they should watch it. Uh, this is like like the most anti-war film that you could process. Like when, you, when I say the definition of an anti-war film, this is the one that comes to my mind along with a, another one that's further later on my list in a minute. Uh, it really it shows uh, like a group of Soviet rebels against the Nazis uh, in uh, during World War Two. It follows a kid who had to join up to stop the Nazis. Stop the Nazis, I guess you could. Say, I don't know, not really stop them. It, it, but it shows how brutal the Nazis are, and it's it was really a film made in the eighties to kind of bring awareness to a lot of the things that happened. To the Soviets during the time, you, it's hard to really explain what happens. I, I I recommend watching it if you're interested in war movies. I have not I have not seen this movie, but I will say to that point, the Eastern Front of World War II is kind of skipped over as Americans. We only know about like we vaguely know about the Battle of Stalingrad and stuff, but the Eastern Front was the most probably the worst part of any war ever, at least in modern history. Uh, the amount of losses that the Soviet people had was staggering, and it was just war crime after war crime perpetuated by either side, both the Soviets and the Nazis. So if you want to see how the worst that war can be, study the Eastern Front. Yeah, and it, fall, it falls a kid who loses everything. It's very cinematic as well, some amazing shots, amazing... I'm not, I'm not going to save for the score because I don't really pay attention to the score while I'm watching it. If Alex watches it, I'm sure he'd pick up on it. I, I, I certainly would, as I always do. I will say one thing that Chris just said that I want to echo is, yeah, the Eastern Front is insane. I think the Soviets lost more people than any every other country combined. Correct. And a movie that I have not seen fully through, so I did not include on my list, but gives a great indication of that is Enemy at the Gates, where one of the opening scenes is the Russian soldiers being thrown into the water, and they only give... Every every other soldier a rifle and say if the soldier in front of you dies pick up the rifle and carry on because their philosophy was we're just gonna throw every single person we have at it and see if we win it worked out but you know cost millions anyway Davis you can go ahead uh, I don't really have anything else to say about it check it out it's, fair enough I, I'm not even really gonna recommend it for just the regular viewer because it is pretty it's pretty intense. It's a lot. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. And Chris, now on to your number five. My number five is the legendary Apocalypse Now, starring Martin Sheen and Marlon Brando. The horror. The horror. The best adaption of Edge of Darkness. Um, legend- Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness, sorry. Great book. Heart of Darkness. Good. Yeah, good book. Short story. Had to read in high school. Um, a lot of people didn't like it, but... I did. I enjoyed it. I read it over the summer at work. Heart of Darkness. We were slow. Excuse me. Best adaption of Heart of Darkness. Legendary cin- cinematography. You don't think the Seinfeld adaptation's better? <laughs> I'm not familiar, but I'm sure it's it, it goes toe-to-toe. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, everything that the second half of Full Metal Jacket attempts to do with the questioning of the human psyche, uh, Apocalypse Now spends hours doing. Um, so... It's a three and a half hour movie, so you really need to set aside an afternoon. And I'm not gonna lie, I mean, the same way that Davis didn't recommend come and see to the average viewer, I wouldn't. I don't think I would recommend the average viewer watch Apocalypse Now, uh, only because it 
it can get really boring if you're not like locked into it. If you if you didn't set aside your afternoon and say, I'm going to watch Apocalypse Now. But if you stick through the three and a half hour version, you are rewarded with one of the greatest movies uh, of all time. Not just one of the greatest war movies of all time, one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, Charlie Don't Surf, I Love the Smell of Napalm in the Morning, morning The Horror. Uh, the opening scene of the movie with the this the end by the doors playing over the footage of the Hueys dropping napalm um, is one of my favorite openings of a movie ever. It just sets the tone right away. Um, and they actually have a documentary about the making of this movie. It was notoriously a horrendous production, so much so that it was almost canceled. Uh, but Francis Ford Coppola delivered and... This is it's just an amazing movie. You got to go and watch it at least once in your life. I will admit unfortunately may discredit myself and Davis in this regard. I've not seen this movie. I know it's quintessential. I've got it on VHS tape of course, but I've not gotten around to watching it myself. I will certainly in the future. Do not now. watch the Redux. Watch the original. Watch the, I think I believe I have the original. I would like to think uh, I do. The, the I want to check and look into it's, that. It's a VHS tape. I feel like the the Redux is is the Redux 2019. The Redux, the Redux is the one on Netflix. The Redux is like the four and a half hour long version Ooh. that has a lot of unnecessary stuff in it. Interesting. But the actual original cut is uh, great. All right, there we go. So I, I will certainly do that. Now, number moving four, on Alex. to my number four, one mentioned earlier, one of my all time favorites uh, for a lot of reasons. Chris talked about it a bit. We Were Soldiers. I'm going to go down a bit of the cast list just because it's amazing. Starring Mel Gibson, Madeline Stowe, Greg Kinnear, Sam Elliott, Kerry Russell. Barry Pepper, John Hamm, Clark Gregg, and Ryan Hurst, written and directed by Randall Wallace. And a point that Chris made earlier, Chris, I believe you said that Platoon, you had a friend who, or a neighbor who said it was the most realistic Vietnam movie that they had seen, right? Yep. So this is a quote from actually Colonel Hal Moore in his book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Hal Moore complains, quote, every dang Hollywood movie got the Vietnam War wrong. Director Randall Wallace actually uh, said that he was inspired by that comment and became determined to get it right this time. Now, the movie does have a significant historical differences, specifically at the end of the battle. But Hal Moore uh, stated in a documentary included in the video versions that the film was the first one to get the war right for him. Of course, to each their own in that interpretation. I just thought that was an interesting uh, point about this movie. It's, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite movies because war movies because there's a lot of strategy involved. And I like that there is a lot more of that than say, I think even you want to talk about Free State of Jones, movies I mentioned earlier, 1917, and like The Patriot, those are movies that I've mentioned, but movies that other people have mentioned as well. Not so much a strategic movie, but in this it is Colonel Hal Moore placing people strategically here and there. There's entire scenes where he just mentions to go reinforce certain uh, regiments, which is not something you really would see in most war movies. They're just kind of, oh, well, the regiment got blown up. Oops, that's kind of it. This movie is a lot more strategic, and again, the first and second half are great. First half, you meet. It does what Davis mentioned. Black Hawk Down struggles to do. You meet the group. There's a big. Uh, there's. A, they're all at boot camp together, and you meet the entire sort of cast of characters before you go into battle, and that really adds to it. And again, I would say my favorite scene, as Chris mentioned earlier, is the scene where um, Madeline Stowe's character Julia Moore has to deliver the KIA notifications to the other wives. That is. Such a gut-wrenching scene, and again, not something that's been you know covered in a lot of movies before, but I really, really like this movie. It's one of my all-time favorites, one of the first big war movies that I remember seeing, actually, as a child, and it's just awesome. Mel Gibson's great, Sam Elliott's one of my favorites, and he's awesome in this as well. 
And it showcases the brutality of war about as good as anybody does, I would say. It's just, there's a lot of the very much hand-to-hand combat. There's the the wounded having to pick up the weapons to fight off as the Vietnamese are on top of them, which they are for most of the movie. An awesome movie. But yeah, that's my number four. My number four, we already talked about it enough, so I don't think I really need to say any more is Inglorious Bastards. I, think I don't think there's really anything else to really say. I yeah. love the movie. Uh, second favorite Tarantino movie for me. Chris, your number four? My number four, previously mentioned, uh, Black Hawk Down, chronicles the Battle of Mogadishu, which was a part of Operation Gothic Serpent, which was the attempt to capture Mohammed Farah Aidid, who's a Somalian military officer uh, wanted by the United Task Force after his attacks against the United Nations in 1992. Uh, took place during the Somalian Civil War. Uh, one might call it a genocide. Uh, basically follows the Delta Force operators who went in to attempt to get Aidid um, and the 75th Ranger Regiment that supported them and how things went haywire uh, with the loss of the bird, which happened because um, Orlando Bloom's character, Private Blackburn, fell out of the Blackhawk as the Blackhawk tried to evade uh, an RPG. So I like it because it's probably one of the first war movies I ever saw. Um, I also have a appreciation for more modern war movies. I feel like we romanticize kind of World War II and Vietnam and stuff. Maybe romanticize is the wrong word, but we focus on those a lot uh, to the point where the more modern conflicts are kind of overlooked. Obviously now Black Hawk Down, more well-known by the greater audience because of this movie and the book that it is based off of. But um, I think it just details the ability for us to kind of face adversity and it shows true stories of heroism like the two Delta Force operators who go in to secure the second crash site and end up getting just completely overrun and butchered by the Somalians. Uh, I mean, they knew what they were walking into, but they did it anyway at the attempt to try and save the pilot uh, who ended up surviving. The pilot of the second Black Hawk that was shot down survived uh, because of the exploits of those Delta Force snipers and then... um, having been taken prisoner rather than killed at the crash site. So, yeah, Black Hawk Down is a is a amazing war movie. And it, it has its action moments that you can watch and be like, awesome. But it also has some pretty tragic moments, like the loss of Private, Private Smith. I think he was a private or he was a sergeant, honestly. I, again, the characters, I apologize um, for not remembering his name, but... His death when he's shot in the leg and mm-hmm. his femoral artery is severed and they have to lie to him and tell him he's okay and he slowly bleeds out and dies. and It was very sad. It's very sad and it's it's depressing and it's something that soldiers actually have to go through and then that type of stuff leads to PTSD and whatnot. Yeah, so. and not to mention Josh Harnett's character. I mean, you can just see him sticking his hand like all the way Ugh. up the dude's leg. Yeah. It is one of the most it's disgusting brutal. scenes it's pretty ever. But yeah, it's what a, what a movie, what a movie, and spoiler, it'll be on my list later as well. All right, what's your number? My three? My number three on? is Saving Private Ryan. That's it's also mine. Just want to say it. It's That's also the, my number three. <laughs> okay, so why don't we just have a have a discussion there? I then go around the circle and say, let's just have this open discussion about it. I mean, first and foremost, it's it is. I the, think it's probably the most famous war it's movie. The yeah. war movie to people. Davis, it's not to me, but 
What? Davis and I asked our dads what our their favorite war movies were, and my Ryan. dad said Saving Private Ryan. I did. My dad I liked did. the one as well. I told my dad that's a safe, safe choice. So this morning at six twenty-seven, he said Full Metal Jacket Platoon, Apocalypse Now, Hacksaw Ridge. Wow. He named four more because I think there he was, you go. I think he, he was he a little peeved felt that, insulted. I, that I said so, safe choice. You got this all-time great cast: Tom Hanks, Edward Burns, Matt Damon, Tom Sizemore. Jeremy Davies, Vin Diesel, Adam Goldberg, Barry Pepper, who was in a previous movie I think I just mentioned, um, and then Giovanni Ribsi, and it's directed by Steven Spielberg with the score, the amazing score from John Williams. This is a classic. It's an all-timer. The scene uh, at Normandy is probably the most well-known war movie scene of all time. The uh, the Omaha Beach landing scene um before this movie was released, they privately screened it for veterans of uh, Operation Overlord, D-Day, Normandy, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, and their reaction was that it was the most realistic depiction of what they experienced that you could possibly make in a movie. And it's horrifying to imagine seeing that in real life. I mean, the guy casually walking around looking for his arm... Uh, the explosions, the soldiers getting gunned down as soon as the ramps open. The dude holding his intestines while screaming for his mother, which oh. is a very skipped over scene in the grand scheme, but is the the guys drowning and getting the out gear of it, which drowning, also happened. Drowning them, their gear drowning them as they try to evacuate from yep. the landing. I mean, Omaha Beach, I mean, rightfully so, really D-Day in its entirety, the greatest amphibious invasion in the history of war. Uh and probably the most, I don't want to use that word iconic, but the most iconic American battle in history, probably, for good I, I reason. I feel like that's most people. Iconic, most people iconic, I, iconic in, in, in implies that it is most well-known and famous, and that's exactly what that's it is. That's probably up there with crossing the Delaware, Gettysburg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, easily. It's, I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing movie, and, uh. One fun one fun fact I like to give is that this movie woke me up. Uh, <laughs> yours truly was uh, born shortly after my parents watched this movie, um, the night of July 29th. That's why, he jo- that's why he's in ROTC. The night of July 29th, 1998, my parents were watching Saving Private Ryan, uh, and my mom said I was kicking more aggressively than usual, and just a couple hours later, yours truly was on the way. <laughs> oh, July 30th, my 1998. Gosh. That is one of the greatest stories I've ever heard <laughs> in the history of just ever at that point. That's hilarious. Thank you, Alex. Spectacular. <laughs> I love that. That's... I, one of my biggest issues with Save Private Ryan, sorry to cut you off there, no, it's Alex, fine. Go ahead. but Upham's character, I mean, like I like Upham's character. For the I most hate part. him. I know you're supposed to hate him. That's why I like him. Not like underdog thing, but okay. like they, he needs a well-written character. I just cannot watch when he won't give the bullet, when he won't bring the bullets and the guy dies. I just... I just cannot so, watch it. Let me let me let me clarify this. I've watched the movie a million times. The scene where uh Mellish, played by Adam Goldberg, is slowly stabbed to the chest is the one scene that I refuse to watch most of yeah, the time. I can't because watch it. that is it's like it's like people get freaked out when they see needles go in. This is slowly putting a knife through somebody's chest, essentially. That is also when I, I can't watch like cuttings, stabbings in movies. Things with eyes I also can't watch. Yeah, that's fair. So the reason this movie is lower on my list and not number one, even though it is the quintessential war movie, right, is for one, um, obviously most of these movies are very depressing. There, This is not feel like a happy ending for me, for one. And number two, um, Upham getting a 
like redemption storyline is one of the stupidest uh, uh, scenes of most movies that I've seen. To be quite honest, I cannot stand it because it is not. It is not that his cowardice was in the first twenty minutes of the movie. He just let his friend die five minutes ago, and then he's like, then he just randomly shoots a surrendering Nazi soldier, which again is technically a war crime because he puts his arms up and and they they have surrendered. Which again, whether or not you think also happens early in the movie, whether or not you, yeah, exactly, it and does. they're speaking Dutch or whatever it is. That's a fun fact. Yeah. That's oh yeah, good... that, that's right. You told you told me that. Uh, I think one one time before we were ta- we were talking about this movie, but like, it it's just complete crap to me. To be honest, it's it's a it's a five minute reversal for no reason, and then again, he kills a man in cold blood because he's happy that he's fixed his mistake no it's it, it's stupid i'm sorry like the rest of the movie is perfect that that scene in my opinion is stupid if you guys disagree you can certainly say so but i don't like that at all anything Chris? i'm not gonna go one way or the other on that one i mean i think i think that this it's a good I think moment, that we can all you, agree in saying that saving private ryan is the magnum opus of war movies i would go as far as to say it's probably the greatest war movie of all time uh but again this list is not the you know definitive greatest it's our personal favorites but um saving private ryan just overall captures every aspect of war you can watch it for the battles if you're kind of an adrenaline junkie you can kind of watch it for the brutality of war and to kind of learn a little bit about world war ii through this kind of fictional story so number two uh, number two for myself <laughs> is a movie you mentioned earlier davis it's fury mm-hmm. it is i mean a lot of people got. I'll, I'll talk about the cast actually right now. Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf, Logan Lerman, Michael Pena, John Barenthal, and then in lesser roles, Jason Isaacs and Scott Eastwood, who just randomly appears in a bunch of David Ayer movies. Directed by David Ayer, music by Stephen Price. His piece Norman is one of the best uh, pieces composed by any composer that I've heard in a long, long time. It's an amazing, amazing score that plays throughout. A lot of people were very critical of this movie upon its release because they thought that it glorified these cruel evil soldiers essentially because the the entire movie is is brad pitt shia labeouf michael Pena, and john barenthal essentially bullying logan lerman for the whole movie really and it's it's brutal and a lot of people thought that it glorified that and this will relate to our discussion later but i feel that this movie does one of the best jobs at showing the psychological effects of a war especially of a tank crew because this movie also goes to great lengths at the beginning to illustrate the fact that the U.S. was, at a certain point, just backing Germany down to, to Berlin. They marched them there. But a very underrated part of World War II is the fact that the Nazis were very advanced in their weaponry compared to the U.S. Yes. The, U- the U.S. war machine simply produced more, but the Nazi war machine produced better weapons in a variety of ways and went none bigger than the tanks, of which the U.S. Sherman tanks got whooped essentially the entire time that's what the movie says at the very beginning that's correct and that and it does a great job of displaying that especially when later in the movie one scene one tiger tank takes down four tanks by itself essentially which is just honestly alarming and considering you can send five tanks to take down one essentially german tiger tank and that's something that again has not really been seen before in most movies i really liked that it goes into detail on how bad the the war was from that perspective. And further, I just think it did a great job of showing exactly the effects that this war had on these people. They, they can't be emotional. They have to be desensitized. Gunning down Nazis in cold blood is what they have to do because it's them or us, essentially, is what they think. And it's amazing. And the cast is excellent. 
Shia LaBeouf honestly gives one of his best performances I've seen in recent years, let alone his own career. It's a great performance. There's kind of the, kind of the start of his whole method acting. I would bit agree too. Then he he what is it? Tooth. He like chipped out. He like he ripped out a tooth, a tooth on and, purpose and, and cut uh, a scar into his cheek. He did. He refused he, to shower, which. Uh, and the the crew itself sat in the tank primarily for the majority of the filming. So they really built, got this bond together that they've maintained as far as I know to this day. It's an incredible, incredible film. And the action scenes are second to none, to be honest. The first uh, tank scene between the five tanks and the one tire tank is amazing. The final battle, the climactic battle, really is um, unreal and just an incredible scene. Also, all taking place at night. And it's just. Do you know what battle the final? It, it is not. It is, is. It, so it is not that historically accurate. So this is not based on actual crews. So this is a battle between the crew and an entire Nazi regiment. So it's not ac- an actual like they're not there with a bunch of other U.S. soldiers at like the Battle of the Bulge, for example. Ah. This is just them by themselves. This is where it gets. It, it is entirely based, and these are fake characters, but it doesn't change anything about the war, and it doesn't change the fact that the Sherman tanks were historically and completely outmatched. And it's just, it's awesome. Davis, I know you said you've seen it one time. On rewatch, it gets better and better and better every single time for me. Now, Davis, your number two. My number two, I kind of, uh, uh, I can't think of the word. I, I, I mentioned it earlier. I mentioned a war, uh, anti-war movie that's even more anti-war than Come and See. It is Beast of No Nation, mm. starring Idris Elba. Uh Idris Elba was really the big actor in it, and then the kid that plays Agu, Agu. Let me see his name real quick. It is directed by the guy that is directing No Time to Die currently. Oh, Abraham Atta plays Agu. You mean directed? Because No Time to Die came out. Okay, then directed by him. Yeah, my bad. I didn't. I didn't even realize it was out. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a, it's a movie about child soldiers in Africa. It's based in a, a like a fictional West African country, just to kind of tell the like a broad story. But for the most part. I was watching a video about it earlier. It's based off the Sierra Leone Civil War yeah. in West Africa. It was shot in Ghana. And for a lot of the movie, they actually got former child soldiers to be extras and consultants in it. And a lot of the some of the cash actually got arrested for being suspected as mercenaries because of that. It's a great movie. It's very visceral. It's very brutal at times. It's very emotional. Uh, Abraham Atta does an amazing job. I think he was probably about like 14 or 15 at the time of acting. So... Kind of like on the cusp of being a child actor, but I'd say he's kind of past that. Uh, he does a great job. Idris Elba, amazing job as well. I recommend this movie. Uh, tells a very heartbreaking story about a, a kid that just gets torn away from his home, has to become a child soldier, and gets his childhood taken away. Yeah, I recommend it. It's really good. It's on Netflix. Yeah, it's come on a lot of my list. I've always been to watch it. Very uh, good. I, l- I look forward to watching it at some point. Now, Chris. Oh, uh, I was about to say I don't, I don't want to give too much away on it. There's not much else to really say. It's a pretty contained story. Fair point. Fair point. Fair point. Uh, <clears throat> Dave, or not? Excuse me, not Davis. Chris, uh, your number two. Uh, my number two is Glory. Um, ah, the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment. Um, I think it ha- is an amazing story that every American should know about. Um, and it has some amazing performances from some pretty great actors. Uh, one thing that I've come to appreciate is how you, as a leader, you can't really have a personal relationship with your soldiers. Um, and you see that with Matthew Broderick's character, Robert Goldshaw, uh, his former friend 
slash kind of house servant to his family volunteers for this force, and he thinks that they're going to be all buddy-buddy, but he has to quickly establish that they're no longer friends. He is his boss, and you kind of see that how that relationship changes throughout the movie, um, how he treats his sergeants and how he treats his men and how he attempts to uh, erase preconceived notions of his men because the, of their skin color, especially within his, his leadership. Um, the sergeant that kind of plays the drill sergeant type, I for, don't remember his name. Um, it doesn't really matter, but basically how, his relationship and how he deals with everything is great. But even as the overall story, um, how they fought, how they were treated by the rest of the Union um, up until they kind of proved their worth in combat and they showed that they were just relentless fighters to become one of the most well-respected, highly decorated units within the Civil War. I just, everyone should see this movie. It's a great Civil War Absolutely. movie. A great war movie, a great movie in general, and definitely an underappreciated one. I would feel, I would be confident in saying that not a lot of people know about slash have seen this movie. So I think I would that agree. should change. I would agree as well. Um, and now my number one is one we mentioned earlier. It's Black Hawk Down. It is, mm. Dave, as you mentioned the cast, I think it was you mentioned the cast being, you know, not as introduced. Well, I'm just going to go through the incredible cast list right now. Josh Hartnett, Ewan McGregor, Tom Sizemore, who seems to be in nothing but war movies, by the way. Uh, Ewan Bremner, Jason Isaacs, Tom Hardy, Orlando Bloom, Enrique Murciano, Sam Shepard, Eric Abana, William Finchner, and then Nicolas Costa-Walder. And Ron Eldard and Glenn Morshower, Jeremy Piven, and even Ty Burrell from Modern Family shows up for a brief moment. It's funny. Um, I don't mean to interrupt, but Davis and I were watching this movie yesterday and it had been a while since I had seen it. And we just kept going like, is that Tom Hardy? Is that It, it is blah, Tom blah, blah. Hardy. Like, it is Tom Hardy. We, we kept saying that, I feel like, every scene because there's so many fam- now famous actors that I feel early on in their career were in this movie that is just crazy. Absolutely. Orlando Bloom among those, and I think you McGregor too specific, that really uh, got a lot of fame shortly after this. Correct. Uh, Th- that was just before, or it was after Phantom Menace, but true. it was like just before episode two and three. And, that, and it was this was also just before Pirates of the Caribbean, which was Orlando Bloom's big break, as we know. Uh, directed by Ridley Scott, composed by Hans Zimmer, Leave No Man Behind is probably some of the best music he has ever made. For reference, for those who are probably trying to think about that, and if you may remember this, the scene when uh, they are trying to escape and the gunner goes down and Eric Bana's character goes to take the turret and the music swells at that point, that is the song Leave No Man Behind. It's perfect. It's so good. Hans Zimmer, he's, you know, I talk about him every episode. He's that good. Uh, Just an awesome, awesome movie. I personally did not have a problem with the so many characters and so many different people to keep difficult to keep track of because I think that was kind of the point. And one, as as Chris said, it's based in reality. You know, this if you go on the Wikipedia page, the cast list is broken up by regiment because they were they, these are all actual people. And even just about every character, they'll be there the actor and then their character has their own Wikipedia page because they're real. You know, uh Tom Sizemore, Danny McKnight, real. Uh Eric Bana's character was based on a few characters as, or actually it was just based on yeah it was based on uh let's see i think it was staff sergeant john massajunas and norm horton and matthew rearson so that's three people in one there but just really an incredible actually no, that's special forces actually that's not staff sergeant my mistake um but just an incredible movie i think you know, to learn about a conflict that I was not very familiar with myself at all, actually. I didn't know any of this actually happened. And it's just 
The action is second to none, but there is a lot of time for emotional scenes and actual character building moments between a lot of people. And it's just, I talk about We Were Soldiers being strategic. This is even more so because it's entirely focused on that. And it's amazing. I recommend anybody who hasn't seen it before to watch it, though not if you're not, not for the faint of heart because it is graphic and dark and serious and very depressing. But Davis, your number one. My number one is when those on your honorable mentions. It is my most watched war movie ever. I don't think it's the best. I think all of all I have on the list, I meant to say this earlier, I think Beast of No Nation is the best made one out of all the ones I named. But my number one is Hacksaw Ridge. It's just, uh, I, like I said, I don't think it's the best. I think it has its flaws, but it, it it's the most comforting. It has like a pretty feel-good vibe to it at the end of the day. Is telling the story Desmond Doss, Medal of Honor winning, or conscientious objector. Amazing uh, American. Amazing American. Desmond Doss. Uh, tells the story pretty well. It actually left out things like the fact that after he broke his leg and they were taking him away on the stretcher, he forced them to take him off the stretcher so that someone that was more injured could have it, and he crawled the rest of the way, which has actually happened. And they left it out of the movie because they thought people wouldn't believe it. Honestly, <laughs> that's insane. Wow. What a guy. Yeah. What a movie. I, again, I, I've only seen it, I think, once or twice. I think it would have made it on my list. I've probably seen it like 20, 30 times. I think it would have made it on 30. my list more if I watch it more, but what a movie. Keep, you can keep yeah. talking about it. Uh, Andrew Garfield's amazing at it. in it. I do think uh, the lead-up to the battle is the weaker part of the movie, obviously, but I even think the parts where he's getting court-martialed and all that are pretty, pretty well done. I don't want to say too much else more about it because we were running out of time in our recording area. And I no, we're go. good. We're good. Okay. Well, I honestly don't have much else to say, but it's a great movie. Really love it. It's my number one. It's my favorite war movie. Chris, uh, my number one is, I know what is. You, you already know what it is, and I'm. I will say that um, I I know that I have a kind of a bias towards this movie. Um, again, I said I have a tendency to prefer the more recent ones, but mine is actually very recent. It came out in 2019. It's called The Outpost. Um, it is named after the book of the same name. The Outpost, um, and it is a a retelling of the Battle of Camp Keating um, and the deployments within Combat Outpost Keating. It follows the soldiers of the 4th Infantry Division. Uh, the movie basically separates into two perfect halves, so the first half and the second half. Uh, the first half is basically setting the tone. Uh, the opening scene is a helicopter coming in, and it shows a true quote about what one of the captain assistants to one of the generals that established Combat Outpost Keating uh, said, and he called it Camp Custer. And the reason he said that is because everyone on the outpost was going to die. Uh, and the, what the movie does is it kind of compounds. Basic, essentially, there were three deployments to Combat Outpost Keating with the 10th Mountain, the the 173rd and the uh, 4th Infantry Division, and then it kind of compounds them all into the 4th Infantry Division. So Camp Keating is named after 1st Lieutenant Benjamin Keating, uh, who is post, post, always get Posthumous. that posthumously promoted to captain. Um, it tells his story about how he died. He was not killed in combat. He was killed when the truck he was driving rolled off a 200-foot cliff, and he he fell out of the cliff, and he was rolled over by the truck. So they named the outpost after him. It tells the story of Captain Yeskis, who was targeted by the Taliban with a remote-detonated IED. Uh, and the scene it shows is they're casually on patrol, 
and they're crossing this river on a bridge, and then the bridge blows up, and Captain Yeskis blows up. And what I really appreciated, as someone who has read the Outpost book, which, by the way, I think everyone should read if you're interested at all in military history, especially the uh, war in Afghanistan, is it tried to accurately portray all these parts as best it could into uh, the two-hour span. For instance, that bridge scene with Captain Yeskis, there is a bit where a piece of Captain Yeskis lands in the mouth of the soldier he is crossing uh, the bridge with. And you see him, you know, the the sound kind of goes tone deaf and it's kind of ringing to portray the explosion. And you see him pull something out of his mouth. Well, that actually happened. That, uh, Good that is, Lord. That actually happened to that soldier whose name, unfortunately, I am forgetting. And he had to be evacuated because his mental health rapidly declined for obvious reasons. Uh, but they try to throw in little tidbits like that to be as accurate as possible to all the history. And the second half of the movie is the the Battle of Combat Outpost Keating. Um, basically, a company, about 50 Americans were attacked by approximately 500, like 300 to 500 Taliban. And it was a day-long battle between these guys. And the thing about Combat Outpost Keating is that it was, again, in the middle of the Korngal Valley, um, and it was on all sides, sheer cliff face. So they were essentially, uh, a quote, they were at the bottom of a Dixie cup, and on either side was just high ground. And so they were just getting picked off and shot at. And the movie does an amazing job of accurately showing what happened on that day. Uh, two Medal of Honor winners during this battle, Specialist Ty Carter and Staff Sergeant Clint Romisha, uh, both won the Medal of Honor the the first time since I think Black Hawk Down that two people were awarded the Medal of Honor and survived. Um, Ty Carter spent uh, won the Medal of Honor for basically running around in his PTs and a vest, bringing ammo to a bunch of locations, dragging wounded back to safety, and basically throwing his life. Um, at the in the wind to to save all these people as best he could, and Staff Sergeant Clint Romisha won the Medal of Honor for single handedly taking the initiative and repelling the Taliban from the inside of the uh, camp, so the combat outpost. So they actually landed, they actually got in the wire, uh, and they were very close to overrunning the Americans and successfully splitting it up and killing them, but. Because of the efforts of Staff Sergeant Clint Romisha, he repelled them and was able to retake the outpost. So an amazing true story of American heroism, amazing stories, amazing Americans, um, and something that I feel absolutely nobody knows about. Truly, truly uh, a great movie. Sounds like a really incredible movie and an incredible story nonetheless. And one last thing. Sorry, I know I kind of rambled on about it. It's all good. It's all good. Within the first half of the movie... Uh, I also feel that it does an amazing job at showing just what the relationship between the Americans and the local Afghanis were. Um, it, it's very confusing. It's very kind of tense. And I feel that the movie does a great job of showing that, especially with the Shuras and how they communicate with the elders and how the elders kind of communicate between them and the Taliban um, and kind of plays both sides of the table to to benefit themselves, it, it does a good job of portraying just how chaotic it really was in Afghanistan. So if you're interested in the global war on terror, watch this movie. And especially 
read the book. It is one of the best books I've ever read. And it's written by Jake Tapper. It is. That's what I was yes, just reading yes. about. Yes, it is. It, is read, it is written by Jake Tapper, and Jake Tapper does an amazing job of uh, uh, retelling the story. And while I was reading the book, I shed a couple tears. So it's very emotional. It's a true story, and it happened recently. All right, well, that's our top ten. Which leads us to our discussion we mentioned earlier. You've had Big some question. time to think about it. Davis, bring it up again. Are war movies inherently, obviously some of them take a stance, like I said, are they inherently pro-war or anti-war just by the fact that they are on the silver screen? Uh, I think I think, I think, think they're not inherently either, but if anything, they're inherently anti-war based on the ones that I've seen because there's very few that don't show the horrific impact on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what l- looking at this list... I mean, Inglorious Bastards is the most lighthearted of uh, of the war movies that I discussed, and even then involves the Jew hunter Hans Landa, and I mean, just brutality at its finest in that movie. So I don't think they are. Okay, personally. so are propaganda films, propaganda war films, pro-war, anti-war in that sense? Um, depends on what they're being used for. Uh, if if the U.S. government, for example were to want to discourage, because propaganda tends to be promoted by the government, if they were to want to discourage uh, interest in a war, they could make a movie that is anti-war or vice versa. So it it depends on circumstance. Chris, what are your thoughts? I have a point about the propaganda thing for you. A criticism of uh, American culture that I see a lot on social media and stuff is that we romanticize war with like the movies that we make and stuff. And to that, I would say that I think war movies are inherently neutral or anti-war. I, a movie that depicts a battle that you come out of feeling uh, like happy or excited or pro-war, you are either one under the age of 13 because as a kid, you just watch it for the fun explosion and battle, or you just watched a propaganda film. I don't think any of these movies, if you were to really sit down and dissect what is happening in them, makes you feel good or pro-war. I think what they do is they try to expose the reality of war. They try to expose what the soldiers go through. Uh, I mean, with you guys talking about Fury um, and then with, uh, you know, The Outpost and... Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket, you know, those type of movies, they try to show what these soldiers go through. And watching it, you may not understand, but it's the best way to try and get there, you know? Yeah, and even even uh, one movie that we talked about, We Were Soldiers, right? You know, you could see it yeah. as, as, you could see because it it's massive action set pieces, but you even get scenes inside the Vietnamese camp with the Vietnamese general looking at his own soldiers and realizing the cost of this war on both sides. Yeah. And, and that that in itself is anti-war, I think, because it, it, that movie is not supposed to be very enjoyable. You're watching people just get mowed down on both sides. And to that point, there is a Vietnamese soldier that is highlighted in the movie exactly. that is looking at a picture of his wife the same way we have seen Americans look at pictures of their wives in that same movie. And his the, the end of his story is that he is looking at the picture of his wife for bravery to try and garner up the courage to charge uh, Colonel Hal Moore with a bayonet who then simply guns him down and he's just another body on the field. Exactly. And uh, yeah. I want to tell you my stance. I also I agree with y'all for the most part that if I, to put the realities of war on the film usually discourages people unless you're you know like 
Jeremy Renner's character from Her Locker who just loves it. But there are movies that are exceptions. I think Zero Dark Thirty is one of those because the CIA helped fund and make that movie. So that is whether you, if you like it, that's okay. But that is I haven't seen it personally, so I don't know where uh, it falls. By in definition, line. a propaganda film. I by would the CIA. I would disagree with that. I would disagree with that. Um, only on the account that I feel Zero Dark Thirty. The way I would classify a propaganda film is one that... I'm not talking about like 1930s, 40s Nazi propaganda films. No, I get that. I get that. But what I mean, by definition, funded by a government association, sure. But then by that definition, you could call Top Gun a military propaganda. Yeah, they also helped do that. Because the Air Force funded that movie. Or the Navy funded that movie. But Top Gun makes makes being in the Air Force seem awesome. That's the thing about it. But that's not... I don't really count that as a war movie at the end of the day. But that could be... By that definition, it would be considered a propaganda film. When I I watch Zero Dark Thirty... The thing about Zero Dark Thirty is that it it details the process of how they captured Osama bin Laden, uh, and I feel that it also kind of takes a neutral stance, and I feel that the CIA's involvement is strictly because they had to approve of what is shown and what is not shown. Just because it's such a recent event, uh, they may have gotten into uh, classified information, you know, just with their people they spoke to, advisors and whatnot. So, fun fact, uh, every military book you see Every or every military book you read, or every military movie uh, like that that you watch has to be approved by um, a member of the Department of Defense. Not the movie, but the book. I did not know that. I yeah. Know so that. all the Navy SEALs and stuff putting out their books and whatnot, they have to get approval by the Department of Defense. So the, I just want to tell you, the CIA, when they were making the movie, they they were seeking approval for things, and one of the things was that they made the CIA requested that torture scenes seem effective in the movie. They did things like that. Uh-oh. Instead of just being like, hey, this isn't very accurate. I'm, just, I'm not taking a stance here. I'm just that's, that, that's reporting a, the that's, facts. That's a little dicey. I, again, I haven't seen that movie, so maybe that's a discussion for another time. But but I, I do agree. War movies, I think, I th- just the fact of showing Here's it. Here's the thing. I think movies war. can come with an intent like that, but I think the general populace yes, right now anti-war. is naturally anti-war, and these movies are perceived as such because they are so gratuitously violent. And, you know, I think I think... Even if the intent is behind it, I don't think it, they land like they would like them to, like in that case. I think that when people people watch these movies, they quickly forget about the details of them, and they just remember the war aspect. So then when they start talking about like pro-war and anti-war, they just remember the explosions and, and whatnot, and they don't really remember the, the details like you know digging out the femoral artery and and dudes getting shot and gunned down and stuff like that. They just remember what you remembered like as a kid. So... They may have the propensity to lean towards thinking it is pro-war in some capacity, but honestly, none of these movies really make me feel good. Uh, if anything, after I watch them, I feel somewhat somber to think about what those men had to go through uh, and very much appreciative for their service, not to sound like, uh, you know, thank you for your service type stuff, but it really does put it in perspective. I think it absolutely does. I think, I think it, you know, it puts a face to a lot of the numbers, like... How many people died in World War II? Some people, it's just a number, and it is a massive number, right? But it's, to some people, they need more than that. And I think these movies do that in that case and in any case. Uh, anything else, Davis, on this? Mm-mm. Anything at all? No? I'm good. Well, uh, we thank you for listening to Through the Lens, our fall semester finale, our final episode of this semester before we come back for spring semester to talk about Spider-Man. Chris? Thank you for joining us. Uh, on all the episodes you've on been this, on. On the episodes you've been on, especially this one as well. You brought a specific area of expertise and 
highlighted a lot of movies that I had not personally heard of and we look forward to watching in the future, and I'm sure some of our listeners will agree with that. But again, we thank you for listening to all our episodes throughout the semester. You can follow us along at Through the Lens, W-E-G-L. That's through underscore the underscore lens underscore Weagle on Instagram for all updates about the podcast. Follow W-E-G-L underscore A-U on Instagram for all updates about Weagle-related stuff. And again, if there's any movies you'd like us to review and discuss, you can contact us through that on Instagram, or I'm sure you guys probably have either Davis or I's number, so you can go ahead and contact us there. And if there's any movies you'd like us to watch over the break to get prepared for next semester, we can do some prep or contact us there as well. But again, we thank you very much for joining us on all the episodes this semester, and we will see you all in about a month. Goodbye.